It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of violence and murder. So there's been one murder case that we've been following behind the scenes for quite some time as consumers of news rather than reporters, because it's a it's a very big case. And for a very long time, there, it seemed to be big on speculation and questions and pretty short on concrete answers. And that, of course, is the quadruple homicide of four university students in Idaho also commonly called the Idaho murders. This is a really horrific and upsetting case. And as such, it's attracted a lot of attention and a lot of anger and people wanting answers very understandably. The murder victims were Kaylee Gonsalves, Ethan Chapin, Zana Knodel, and Madison Mogan. 
Zana and Ethan were both 20. Madison and Kaylee were both 21. They, they lived in this, this house at the University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho. They were discovered murdered on November 13th, 2022. And for a long time, there's been a lot of media speculation, a lot of really good reporting and media scrutiny. The parents of these victims have been very um, much advocates for their children and seeking answers. But for the most part, we've just kind of been observing this. But recently, there's been a huge break in the case. A man named Brian Koberger, who is 28 and was a PhD student, actually, in a university across the border from Moscow uh, in, in Washington state. He has been arrested. And today we've learned why he's been arrested, because the probable cause affidavit in the case just dropped. And to explain the reason why there was a delay between the arrest and the probable cause affidavit was because of a requirement of Idaho state law. Idaho state law says you can't release the probable cause affidavit until the uh, person who's been arrested is in the custody of Idaho law enforcement. And this man, uh, Kohlberger, was actually arrested at his parents' home in Pennsylvania over the Christmas holidays. And it was only recently, actually last, as we speak, it was just yesterday that he was returned to Idaho and so that's why this was released today. It wasn't because Idaho was trying to hide it or believe it should be kept secret. So one thing that we're always curious about beyond the sort of initial media coverage, the initial you know, uh, talking points that are sort of out there about a case, we're interested in seeing what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on with the investigation into the case. You know, with, with the Idaho murders, I think there's been a lot of speculation that oh, oh it's going to go unsolved. There was a lot of pessimism, and I, I tend to think that in a, in a high-profile case that's not solved immediately, maybe an ounce of pessimism is necessary to kind of keep asking for answers. But reading through this probable cause affidavit, I think it really gives us a sense of a pretty substantive effort to get this solved pretty quickly. It also shows great cooperation between the various uh, law enforcement agencies that work the case. I also feel it serves as an important reminder. All too often, consumers of news and true crime news come to believe that everything we are hearing publicly represents the totality of what police know. And that is almost never the case. And it wasn't the case here, as we will see as we start reading this. So what we're going to do is we are going to read you some excerpts from this document and tell you what we make of it, basically. We'll be providing some analysis. And as a note, Kevin and I are new to covering this case. So if you have any angles that you think we should look into, any um, investigative reporting that you feel would be helpful for better understanding this, uh, shoot us a tip at murdersheet at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. 
Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach as we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're the Murder Sheet, and this is... The University of Idaho Murders, the probable cause affidavit for Brian Koberger. So to be clear, Brian Koberger, the 28-year-old suspect, he has been arrested and he has been charged with felony burglary and four counts of murder in the first degree, one for each of the victims. We're not going to read every word of this document because it's a long document, but we're going to call out some different areas and things we think are particularly important Uh, The document actually begins by recounting some things that occur on the day the bodies were discovered. And I think the most important detail there comes when the investigator describes entering the room where Miss Gonzalez and Miss Mogan were found dead with stab wounds. He sees their bodies, and then he notes an important detail. I also later noticed what appeared to be a tan leather knife sheath laying on the bed next to Mogan's right side when viewed from the door. The sheath was later processed and had K-Bar, USMC, and the United States Marine Corps Eagle Globe and Anchor Insignia stamped on the outside of it. The Idaho State Lab later located a single source of male DNA suspect profile left on the button snap of the knife sheath. So this is a huge break for the case, and it's one that obviously they had from very early on. They had DNA and they had sort of an approximation of the weapon through the knife sheath. Also, I want to point out, you know, obviously a huge mistake by the killer to leave something so identifying. I mean, there's always going to be a risk for a killer uh, in a violent crime, like a stabbing of leaving behind DNA, especially if they've been handling something like the knife sheath or the, or the knife itself. So it's very interesting. It kind of gives you a sense that there were things going on in this investigation behind the scenes that nobody realized when there was a lot of, public consternation about the case, understandably, but they did have DNA from, it seems like, the jump. Yes, and it's interesting because in the press, 
we're getting reports about Kohlberger being a criminology student. We're led to believe that he was a very gifted student, very interested in studying uh, killers and serial killers and the like, and that he was brilliant. And yet he seems, if he's the guilty man, he seems to have made a rather huge blunder here. It was a stupid thing to do. May I just add that I really, it's kind of troubling to see the sort of true crime myth-making in real time happening with this case. Because this man was a PhD criminology student, there's this kind of, oh, he's the next Ted Bundy. And, you know, and it's like, has anyone ever met a PhD student? You know what I mean? Like, you can be gifted in one area and, and not, not so gifted in others like and i think phd students themselves will acknowledge that so the fact that he was studying criminology criminology is not just studying interesting cases or serial killers there's a there's, i mean it's it's a it's an actual field it's a lot drier than i think a lot of people th- you know think it is who who are maybe more lay people i myself took a criminology class in college it was very dry it was it was interesting and it was helpful. I mean, I appreciated it. It gave gave me a good perspective on on the subject matter, but it's not exactly like sitting around and and just, you know, studying textbook cases of serial killers all day. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I had a criminology course in college as well. Was that was it pretty dry for you too? Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's 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 dry stuff. I mean, it's like you're looking at the the whole of crime. You're not just it's it's not like a let's study Ted Bundy and, you know, the BTK or something. We we have heard that he was a gifted student from from media reports and and professors who have spoken to the media. But as Kevin said, let's let's step away from the myth making around murderers and and just kind of take this for what it is, and and also accept that you can be a good student and not necessarily very smart. <laughs> so from there, the PCA goes back to basically the night of the killings. Or perhaps it'd be more accurate to say the morning of the killings. Uh, as we know, the the, uh, the four victims were out and about doing typical uh, collegiate-type activities. They go back to their residence and seem to be in their rooms and asleep by approximately 4 a.m. This is with the exception of Kernodal, who received a DoorDash order at the residence at approximately 4 a.m. Law enforcement identified the DoorDash delivery driver who reported this information. DM stated she originally went to sleep in her bedroom on the southeast side of the second floor. DM stated she was awoken at approximately 4 a.m. by what she stated sounded like Gonsalves playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which were located on the third floor. A short time later, DM said she heard who she thought was Gonsalves saying something to the effect of, there's someone here. A review of records obtained from a forensic download of Kernodal's phone showed this could also have been Kernodal, as her cellular phone indicated she was likely awake and using the TikTok app at approximately 4.12 a.m. DM stated she looked out of her bedroom, but did not see anything when she heard the comment about someone being in the house. DM stated she opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Kenodal's room. DM then said she heard a male voice say something to the effect of, It's okay, I'm going to help you. At approximately 4.17 a.m., a security camera located at 1112 King Road, 
a residence immediately to the northwest of 1122 King Road, picked up distorted audio of what sounded like voices or a whimper followed by a loud thud. A dog can also be heard barking numerous times starting at 4.17 a.m. The security camera is less than 50 feet from the west wall of Kernodal's bedroom. DM stated she opened her door for the third time after she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. DM described the figure as 5'10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The male walked past DM as she stood in a frozen shock phase. The male walked towards the back sliding glass door. DM locked herself in her room after seeing the male. DM did not state that she recognized the male. This leads investigators to believe that the murderer left the scene. Let's stop here for a moment to hear from our terrific sponsors. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. EMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so this makes clear something that we didn't know before, which is that at least one of the persons left alive in the house became an eyewitness. 
Yeah, this is just such a terrifying image. You're hearing weird stuff at night in your house and you open the door and a guy in a mask walks towards you and just brushes past you. This is this whole thing is so horrible and that is just another awful detail for this. You know, it just it's it's I mean it's 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 sickening. I would say one thing that I have a question about and I'm sure a lot of people do is um, if she had this, if this eyewitness had this strange interaction with this man late at night after hearing suspicious sounds, why, why did it not get called in until the following, you know, day more towards noon, I guess. And I mean, I can kind of, I can imagine if you're half asleep, you see this, Maybe, maybe you, you know, your brain doesn't necessarily want to believe anything horrifying is happening. Maybe you just assume it was some awkward guy who was over and then left. And, and, and that's the long and short of it. Maybe you assume, well, I didn't hear any screaming. I didn't hear any sounds of an attack. So maybe all it is, is just kind of a weird interaction with a guy who's leaving from visiting one of my roommates. And I think it's also worth noting that while it's important to have those questions, there probably are some good answers to them. And I think it's important to note that even if the police had been called right away, these four people were already unfortunately deceased. Yeah. I, so it wouldn't it wouldn't have changed things for them. And I think that I just think that it's important to engage with these cases with a level of empathy. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to maybe uh, say, well, this seems a little bit off to me, that's all okay. But it's also, I think, a good thing to maybe put yourself in a position where you are in your early 20s in college, you don't think anything horrible is happening, and you have a kind of a weird interaction with somebody, maybe that does not rise to the level of red alert immediately. I think it's important to engage with empathy with with the young people, very young people, these, you know, <laughs> These, these are college kids who are at the center of this instead of necessarily just attacking people or making the worst assumptions about everything. And let's not judge people too harshly by what they do when they may be terrified. Terrified, very sleepy. I'm not going to make any assumptions, but if people were going out and having fun, you know, there might be drinking involved. All, all sorts of things could be at play here. And I just I just want to say that because... Obviously, we do investigative journalism. We always have a lot of questions about everything. But running to just like this person's behavior doesn't make any sense. It's like only if you're looking at it through the lens of like, what's the perfect thing somebody should do, uh, which is maybe call 911 right away. Then it gets everything started. Maybe that's not how that's not how people tend to react to things. They tend to want to say there's no there's a there's a reasonable explanation for this. And four people are dead in my house is not a reasonable explanation. It's a horrifying possibility that obviously you're not going to jump to necessarily. And let's also give her credit because she made some important observations. The number one, tell us something about the perpetrator. And number two, also help identify him. She noted he had bushy eyebrows. Mm -hmm. She also noted that he was uh, wearing a mask. So that would certainly, what does that tell you if a person comes to a house wearing a mask? Well, in the age of COVID, right? I mean, it's not necessarily, doesn't, Good point. yeah, it does not necessarily mean what it once was. You might just think, well, somebody's uh, just being careful. And which is another reason why maybe that, that didn't trigger uh, her alarm bells quite so quickly. Um, 
but I would, I would say that, you know, generally they're trying to conceal their identity. They're, they're being cautious if they're committing a crime. What's interesting to me as well is that obviously the, the perpetrator committed this horrific, brutal act in the house against these four individuals, but was content to, to leave this one witness. I think it's probably a little bit problematic to be ascribing a, a, a ton of rationality to a crime like this because, I mean, obviously mistakes were made, like leaving behind DNA, leaving behind um, evidence, uh, the, the knife sheath, and trying to say, well, why would he do this? It's kind of like, why would he do any of this? You know, it's, I don't know. I mean, like, there's only so much we can really understand about somebody who's going to go ahead and do something like this to four college students. So next we're going to read about the car evidence, the vehicular evidence in this case. This is going to get pretty in-depth. So we may not read all of it, but we will give you an idea of it and certainly uh, summarize it. Because this part, when I was initially reading this, is where my jaw dropped. Like I, This was, this was very interesting for me. So essentially what you need to know is that investigators underwent a very extensive search, a video canvas, as they called it. And that's just all the buildings around the residence where these kids were murdered. They're looking for video footage. You know, who has cameras? Can we have those? You know, what what did they see? What What people were in the area? What vehicles were in the area? And they basically collected these videos. And then in the affidavit, they note that um, officers from Moscow, Idaho State Police, and FBI agents basically reviewed the footage and were looking for evidence, essentially. And as they did that, they identified a white sedan, which they called suspect vehicle number one, behaving in unusual ways. A review of footage from multiple videos obtained from the King Road neighborhood showed multiple sightings of suspect vehicle one, starting at 3.29 a.m. and ending at 4.20 a.m. These sightings show suspect vehicle 1 makes an initial three passes by the 1122 King Road residence and then leave via Walenta Drive. Based off my experience as a patrol officer, this is a residential neighborhood with a very limited number of vehicles that travel in the area during the early morning hours. Upon review of the video, there are only a few cars that enter and exit this area during this time frame. So we have a car repeatedly driving by what would soon become the crime scene. It's initially seen there not long before the murders, and it's seen there for the last time not long after our witness sees the suspect leave the house. So that's going to be highly indicative to the officers reviewing this footage, and they're going to want to know who is in that car. Suspect Vehicle 1 is next seen departing the area of the King Road residence at approximately 4.20 a.m. at a high rate of speed. Suspect Vehicle number 1 is next observed traveling southbound on Walenta Drive. Based on my knowledge of the area and review of camera footage in the neighborhood, that does not show Suspect Vehicle 1 during that time frame. I believe that Suspect Vehicle 1 likely exited the neighborhood at Palaus River Drive and Conestoga Drive. Palouse River Drive is at the southern edge of Moscow and proceeds into Whitman County, Washington. Eventually, the road leads to Pullman, Washington. 
Pullman, Washington is approximately 10 miles from Moscow, Idaho. Both Pullman and Moscow are small college towns, and people commonly travel back and forth between them. So we have this suspect vehicle behaving oddly in the neighborhood, and then just after the crime occurs, it speeds away. High rate of speed. Yeah. And and the time frame is perfect with what the witness DM said happened. She has this weird interaction at 417, 420. This car is booking it out of there. And basically then law enforcement relies on the expertise of an FBI forensic examiner uh, or group of forensic examiners, actually. And basically what they're looking for is what is the year, make and model of this vehicle that was behaving so unusually? And they kind of come up with a bit of a range. Uh, effectively, they land on it. It looks like a Hyundai Elantra uh, from years 2011 to 2016. The color is white, and that's the approximate make and model. So this is why the police were asking for information about that particular type of car. Yeah, and that's been certainly a huge topic of discussion within the media, within the people following these cases. You know, what, where is this car? What, what's going on with that? And because this car was going into another town, sort of like Moscow, even though it's across the border in Washington State, but it's also a small college town. You know, I went to a school where the college is kind of the big thing in the town. So if you have if you have a car headed towards Pullman, it sounds like they're immediately thinking we need to talk to the campus police and the authorities in that area and see did they find any corresponding strange behavior from a vehicle that matches up with what we saw. And it turns out they did. And now we're going to find out when Koberger first popped up on law enforcement radar. On November 25th, 2022, MPD asked area law enforcement agencies to be on the lookout for white Hyundai Elantras in the area. On November 29th, 2022, at approximately 12.28 a.m., Washington State University police officer Daniel Tiango queried white Elantras registered at WSU. As a result of that query, he located a 2015 white Elantra with a Pennsylvania license plate LFZ. Dash 8649. This vehicle was registered to Brian Koberger, hereafter Koberger. That same day, at approximately 12.58 a.m., WSU officer Curtis Whitman was looking for white Hyundai Elantras and located a 2015 white Hyundai Elantra at 1630 Any Valley. This vehicle was registered to Brian Koberger, hereafter Koberger residing at 1630 Northeast Valley Road, apartment 201 Pullman, Washington. The same day, at approximately 12.58 a.m., WSU officer Curtis Whitman was looking for white Hyundai Elantras and located a 2015 white Hyundai Elantra at 1630 Northeast Valley Road in Pullman in the parking lot. 1630 Northeast Valley Road is an apartment complex that houses WSU students. Officer Whitman also ran the car and then returned to Koberger with a Washington tag. I reviewed Koberger's Washington State driver's license information and photograph. This license indicates that Koberger is a white male with a height of 6 foot and weighs 185 pounds. Additionally, the photograph of Koberger shows that he has bushy eyebrows. Koberger's physical description is consistent with the description of the male DM saw inside the King Road residence on November 13th. 
So he came on the radar a while ago. So his car, the activity surrounding his car matches up exactly with the car that was spotted in the neighborhood on the night of the murders. And he is not inconsistent with the witness, the eyewitness account. Of course, you know how we feel about eyewitness accounts. You know, they can be helpful. They're, you know, t- to me, there's always room for human error. But it's it's not as if he looks extremely different from the kind of person that DM saw. So this was enough to make him interesting. But obviously, it was highly circumstantial and not nearly enough to do an arrest. Yeah. But, I mean, they've got to, when they have all this, they've got to be very interested in this person. Right? I mean, they've got... How I mean, yeah. The car, to me, is just very interesting. But through further investigation, they were about to get more evidence against Koberger. One detail that stood out to me... It's certainly not the be-all, end-all of the case, but just kind of like another thing that kind of clicks into place is that Koberger had Pennsylvania plates. And and in November of 2022, Koberger apparently registered his 2015 white Elantra in Washington. But before that, it was registered in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, one wrinkle of their laws is that they don't require a front license plate to be displayed. Like This is not, that's not the rule. You don't have to do it. And what we know from the footage of suspect vehicle one in the King Road residence area is that apparently it did not look like it was displaying a front license plate. So this kind of weird little wrinkle that must have struck the investigators as super odd then turns out to kind of be linked to where this car allegedly has come from. So I just found that just another, you know, when you see this and it's like this, these kind of little details that are being explained once a suspect comes on the radar, that to me is kind of highly indicative of a strong probable cause affidavit in a strong case. Let's take a moment to hear from our terrific sponsors. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. 
Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And at this point, they started looking into Kohlberger a bit more. They found out that he was a criminology student, that he'd posted this Reddit survey that's gotten so much attention where he was asking participants to provide information to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision-making when committing a crime. I'm just going to, I mean, Reddit, not exactly a, it's not exactly a statistically relevant survey. So I don't know. Are are you saying that's not a place he should have gone to, to look for uh, subjects? I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not weighing in on that level. I just am saying that like, you know, I mean, people, again, I just, People are acting like, oh, you know, he's this this genius, this criminology genius. And it's like, okay. <laughs> I just think we need to take a bit of skepticism with that, you know? Now, the next thing they did was look at cell phone evidence. Because in this day and age, I think most of us are sophisticated to know that our cell phones are basically tracking devices that if you have your cell phone with you it tracks where you go and it keeps a record of that and so naturally if you're looking at a suspect in a crime you want to get his cell phone records to figure out where he was so naturally the law enforcement investigators they get search warrants uh they're basically looking for what cellular devices look utilize the cell towers near the near the you know the murder scene and they actually found that Koberger's phone, which they refer to as the 8458 phone, did not show that it was utilizing the cellular towers in close proximity with the King Road residence uh, between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. So what does that suggest? So that suggested to the officers that he left his phone behind, that he was savvy enough to not bring his cell phone to Moscow that night, essentially, is what they're saying. And actually, I'll read uh, an excerpt from the probable cause affidavit where they kind of explain this. Based on my training experience and conversations with law enforcement officers that specialize in the utilization of cellular telephone records as part of investigations, individuals can either leave their cellular telephone at a different location before committing a crime or turn their cellular telephone off prior to going to a location to commit a crime. This is done by subjects in an effort to avoid alerting law enforcement that a cellular device associated with them was in a particular area when a crime is committed. I also know that on numerous occasions, subjects were surveil an area where they intend to commit a crime prior to the date of the crime. Depending on the circumstances, this could be done a few days before or for several months prior to the commission of a crime. During these types of surveillance, it is possible that an individual would not leave their cellular telephone at a separate location or turn it off since they do not plan to commit the offense on that particular day. So that made the police basically cast a wider net. They asked for cellular records from November 12th, 2022 and November 14th. And the reason for this is they wanted to know basically, was this guy stalking the victims was he was he doing some sort of surveillance of the crime scene beforehand planning it out in advance or was he going immediately after the crime to see the damage he inflicted so they're kind of they're basically like okay this guy was clever enough to not bring his phone to the crime but was he clever enough to surveil without it what did they find out 
On November 13th, 2022, at approximately 2.42 a.m., the 8458 phone was utilizing cellular resources that provide coverage to 1630 Northeast Valley Road, apartment G201, Pullman, Washington, hereafter the Coburger residence. At approximately 2.47 a.m., the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources that provide coverage southeast of the Coburger residence, consisted with the 8458 phone leaving the Coburger residence and traveling south through Pullman, Washington. This is consistent with the movement of the white Elantra. At approximately 2.47 a.m., the 8458 phone stops reporting to the network, which is consistent with either the phone being in an area without cellular coverage, the connection to the network is disabled, such as putting the phone in airplane mode, or that the phone is turned off. The 8458 phone does not report to the network again until approximately 4.48 a.m., at which time it utilized cellular resources that provide coverage to Idaho State Highway 95 south of Moscow, Idaho, near Blaine, Idaho, north of Genesee. Between 4.50 a.m. and 5.26 a.m., the phone utilizes cellular resources that are consistent with the 8458 phone traveling south on Idaho State Highway 95 to Genesee, Idaho, then traveling west towards Uniontown, Idaho, and then north back into Pullman, Washington. At approximately 5.30 a.m., the 8458 phone is utilizing resources that provide coverage to Pullman, Washington, and consistent with the phone traveling back to the Coburger residence. The 8458 phone's movements are consistent with the movements of the white Elantra that is observed traveling north on Stadium Drive at approximately 5.27 a.m., Based on a review of the 8458 phone's estimated locations and travel, the 8458 phone's travel is consistent with that of the white Elantra. Further review indicated that the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources on November 13, 2022, that are consistent with the 8458 phone leaving the area of the Coburger residence at approximately 9 a.m. and traveling to Moscow, Idaho. Specifically, the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources that would provide coverage to the King Road residence between 9.12 a.m. and 9.21 a.m. The 8458 phone next utilized cellular resources that are consistent with the 8458 phone traveling back to the area of the Coburger residence and arriving to the area at approximately 9.32 a.m. So what does all of that suggest to you? Well, one thing that's really interesting about that, I want to point out that the police didn't get a 911 call about the murders until 11.58 a.m. on November 13th. So his phone and his, you know, his phone is back in Moscow in like the 9 a.m. hour that day before authorities are even aware there's been a quadruple homicide. So it, it just, it's matching the phone movements to the Elantra in a way that's pretty interesting even though his phone was seemingly turned off during the actual commission of the murders it's still tying him to that area yeah it's very interesting there's a lot of small things that are all adding up and painting a very consistent picture and each of these small things just ties him closer and closer and more securely to this horrible crime one weird wrinkle with the phone is that they mentioned that they found that the phone connected to a cell phone tower providing service to Moscow 
on November 14th, the day after the murders. But they note that they don't believe the phone was in Moscow on that date. So I'd be curious, where was he? Why do they think his phone connected to that area, even though he wasn't in Moscow itself? Like, was he nearby or is something else weird going on? Yeah, that is very interesting. And I guess the obvious question is, what do the investigators make of all of this? Based on my training, experience, and the facts of the investigation thus far, I believe that Kohlberger, the user of the 8458 phone, was likely the driver of the white Elantra that is observed departing Pullman, Washington, and that this vehicle is likely suspect vehicle one. Additionally, the route of travel of the 8458 phone during the early morning hours of November 13, 2022, and the lack of the 8458 phone reporting to AT&T between 2.47 a.m. and 4.48 a.m. is consistent with Kohlberger attempting to conceal his location during the quadruple homicide that occurred at the King Road residence. Next, we get into the investigators essentially trying to look into whether Kohlberger was stalking any of the victims. Basically, the investigators on December 23, 2022, they got a search warrant. They got a search warrant for his historical CSLI, and that is that stands for cell site location information. It's basically like your GPS data, how your cell phone is in relation to nearby cell towers. And basically, here's the relevant part of this. The records for the 8458 phone show the 8458 phone utilizing cellular resources that provide coverage to the area of 1122 King Road on at least 12 occasions prior to November 13th, 2022. All of these occasions, except for one, occurred in the late evening and early morning hours of their respective days. So basically, he's visited the area 12 times in the run-up to November 13th, and he is there either very late at night or very early in the morning. I think the indication here, what they're kind of hinting at, is that he was stalking one of the victims, or at the very least, doing surveillance in order to gain information, make a plan. That's that's the implication here. They don't outright that's, state it. That's the implication, of course, I guess, to be devil's advocate. Uh, he could say, well, maybe I had a girlfriend or a friend in the area that I visited late at night. Yes. Yeah. He. The, there's definitely... This isn't necessarily slam dunk material, in my opinion, but I think this this affidavit is a good example of, like, you know, stacking a bunch of little things on top of each other to make a very big pile. And this pile is pretty huge and damning. And and the PCA wraps up with uh, some pretty damning evidence in and of itself, which is DNA. <laughs> On December 27, 2022, Pennsylvania agents recovered the trash from the Kohlberger family residence located in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. That evidence was sent to the Idaho State Lab for testing. On December 28, 2022, the Idaho State Lab reported that a DNA profile obtained from the trash and the DNA profile obtained from the sheath identified a male is not being excluded as the biological father of suspect profile. At least 99.9998% of the male population would be expected to be excluded 
from the possibility of being the suspect's biological father. So that is very, very damning. Yes. So I'm trying to be a devil's advocate here. I'm trying to think of what a defense attorney could do with some of this. And I imagine the eyewitness didn't see his full face. Uh, Just because his car was in the area doesn't mean you can definitively prove that he did this. Uh, Maybe We can't even definitively say that was his car. It was a car of the same make and model. Maybe he just had insomnia and was driving around. Maybe it wasn't his car. Maybe somebody with an identical car is, is doing, or, you know, a similar car is doing this. And the, the DNA match, there is a percentage that it could be somebody else. But, yeah, this is... This, this is, is a very, very strong case. This is a strong Brian case. Kohlberger. Yeah, this is pretty. And again, innocent until proven guilty. We're going to see what happens, whether or not a plea deal happens, whether or not a trial happens. But as it stands, this is a very hefty and substantive probable cause affidavit. And I compare it to something that we've covered extensively, which is the Delphi probable cause affidavit. And this is more in line of what you expect from a very high profile investigation where it's like, here are all the pieces that are pointing at this guy. You imagine they probably even have more than this, but this is like a very strong start. Yes, it is very difficult to, uh, if you accept all this evidence at face value, and there's, I guess there's no reason why you shouldn't, it's difficult to imagine how Kohlberger could not be guilty of this crime. Again, innocent until proven guilty. I guess a defense attorney would also say, just because your phone is pinging to a tower in Moscow or Idaho, that doesn't mean you're stalking somebody or in front of one particular house. Yeah, if you're if if the two towns are linked and people frequently visit one or the other, maybe maybe that's just the thing you want to go hang out in Moscow. And, and I, as I suggested, uh, maybe you could pull out someone and say, "Oh, this is this was Kohlberger's girlfriend. This is Kohlberger's friend." They'd, sometimes they were so busy, the only time they could get together was late at night. Yeah. So this, this, you know, it's not that it's not that uh, a defense attorney couldn't do anything with any of this. It's just that this gives a strong indication that they have a pretty strong case. It also gives a strong indication that they've had a solid case for a while. Now it's mentioning a lot of activity being done at the end of December, but sort of seems like we've built up to this point. And I think this is a good example of we all need to kind of in situations like this. It's understandable to act uh, with skepticism. I feel like from a lot from what the families were saying in this case, they didn't feel like they were being kept apprised properly, and that's definitely unfortunate. But generally, it seems like the police did a pretty good job with this one so far because this is a lot of evidence. This is a lot of evidence. It's a very impressive PCA. And if 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 this guy was a stranger to these four kids, and that's not determined yet, we don't know if there's any connection. But if this guy was a stranger to four kids, a stranger homicide, you know, where there's not, you know, he's not caught on camera doing it or something, you know, that that's kind of a difficult thing to solve. So the fact that it's taken till it's taken this long is kind of, in my opinion, understandable. And uh, it doesn't seem like I think a lot of people were feeling like, is this going to go unsolved? A lot of people who follow the Delphi case that we cover follow this case extensively. And I think they were wondering, are we going to see another Delphi? Is it going to be another really heinous, horrifying crime that just baffles the mind that is going to go unsolved and there's going to be jurisdictional friction and there's going to be small town policing, you know, where that's going to be called into question. But 
seemingly this was not at risk of going cold from what I'm reading in this probable cause affidavit. This seems like a very top-notch investigation. And when you release a PCA after you arrest a suspect, you want basically to reassure the public that this is the guy. You don't want it to raise more questions. And this PCA does that. This PCA makes an incredibly compelling case that they have the right man. But as we said, we're interested in covering this case. We've been following it. It's been it's it's a, it's a heartbreaking situation that four young people just attempting to enjoy their college experience, get an education and, you know, enter into adulthood. Their lives were cut short. It's deeply unfair. It seems deeply cruel and random and and our hearts go out to their families. I would say that if you've been following this case and you have a angle or a question that you'd like us to follow up on, let us know. We're interested in doing some reporting. If you are in any way close to this case um, and you want to talk to us, send us an email at murdersheet at gmail.com. We respect people's privacy. We will keep you anonymous if that is your preference. Uh, But just let us know and we will try to look into it. I will say uh, the national media attention, I think, has been mostly helpful in this case, that it's kind of really put it in the spotlight, kept it in the spotlight, kept the pressure on for the police to solve it and not let it go cold. And that they seem to have risen to that challenge. So I think this is an instance where we can see that, yes, maybe at times it feels a bit like a media circus or things getting too much scrutiny. But at the same time, I think I'm seeing... Uh, national and local media outlets rising to the challenge of covering this from every angle and doing a good job of that generally. And um, law enforcement rising to the challenge of a high-profile case and putting in the resources and putting in the time and finding uh, some pretty solid evidence against a person. So uh, we're we're interested in kind of watching this going forward and, and reporting on it. So just let us know if there's stuff you think we should look into. Thanks so much for listening to The Murder Sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet discussion group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening.